0: Tune in each week to get expert advice on creating the life you've always dreamt of. Be the change you wish to see. Ignite your inspiration. Fuel your purpose. Live your passion. And fire it up with CJ.com. Hey,
2: everybody, welcome to the Fire It Up with CJ show. Today we have Andy Chalif, and he is going to be talking about uh, his book, The Last Letter, and a big trip that he's about to embark on very soon so welcome Andy
1: thank you for having me
2: yeah so I'm so tell me a little bit about what inspired you to write the book and um, take this long journey from September to November
1: yeah well it's uh, it's one of those things when you just sort of let life evolve and you surrender to it things happen
2: yes I know that this
1: this was certainly a massive surrender I started with, uh, I got married about like, June 11th last mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a fantastic time and wonderful. And, and these peak experiences, you tend to say, well, what, what would I like to be doing differently? Or where do I want to experiment? Because you, know, you have the big, the big high and then you kind of go to that, okay, where, where do I want to be now?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And so of all things, I decided to write a book.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and were you, had you authored any books before? No,
1: I hadn't actually authored. I'd written a lot, but I hadn't authored. Yeah. You know? okay. And and I've, I've worked in marketing for many years, so the writing you do in marketing is usually short and snappy. Right. And it, it, and it's a very different way of or you know articulating yourself. Okay. So I uh, I just started writing actually, wow. and I wrote on the on the honeymoon because we took a t- two and a half month trip through Europe and I had my funnily enough my iPhone I, I wrote in my bed at three or four in the <laughs> on morning the iPhone? <laughs> on the iPhone I think in all it turned out to be 200 pages of just uh, you know oh my it, gosh it, it, it was three it was actually three it was three yeah say three months altogether and then in those three months every morning I wrote for three hours right before wow. my wife would wake up and then I'd read her what I'd written, and I could see how she reacted to what was written. If it was if it was any good, because wow. she's very sensitive, so she could kind of look at me and say, "You know, I'm not, I'm not that that, that doesn't doesn't." I'm not feeling me.
2: it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> if I'm not feeling it. Go yeah. back and do another one, Andy. Do it
1: again. <laughs> and she pointed me in some funny directions. She said, "You know, I'd love to hear you talk about certain topics, topics that I probably would have totally avoided, right?" But right. she's like, "No." I, I, Actually, really want to hear you share, you know, what was going on inside of yourself at that time.
3: Mm. So I wrote
1: that that book, um, and um, in the and it was a funny surrender because I wrote it not not necessarily knowing what it would become. Right. You just said let's let's allow and see how far how far it goes. And 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 what happened was after it was after it was finally done in all the draft phases, and it was I was sending it out my mind was blown away because the people that I was sending it to asked if they could forward it to others. Oh, wow. So, and, so this is I actually never,
2: to get it pu- the book published. And so you're sending well, that it was publisher. to publishers.
1: That was to get it published. But when you write and you write, you know, it was a very intimate sharing. It wasn't, I didn't try to present myself in any way other than the raw humanity of life. And, and, and what I saw was a lot of people could quickly identify with that raw you know taking you know messing up all the time and yet still having the spiritual journey and and not trying to profess to be anything sp- unique or special or mm. you know because a lot of times what what I what I found or have found is that you get a book by someone after they've gone through this journey and the journey you you almost idolize a person in a way to think, wow, look at what where they've Yeah, come. I'll never
2: get there or, you yes. know, like, forget about it. I'm just going to give up even before you approach your starting line. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: it's like, wow, if I have to get there, that's a real benchmark. Right, right. So, so what I did was I sort of dehumanized myself as far as I could to show really what were the emotionally difficult things that I had to go through and then all the shame and all of the difficulty of whatever you know whatever was so hard to overcome wow even as i speak about it it gets emotional because i connect in the writing i i didn't write unless i was connected to the emotion that was Mm. going on at those periods so it was a very interesting writing process as well
2: Mm. so uh i'm trying to figure out the chronology of this so you decided to write on your honeymoon, and what was yeah. the topic of your of of your book, and and how do you see it interrelated, if at all, to your wedding?
1: Well, this was the the, the interesting thing was was that, and that uh, part of my thing nowadays is really allowing the vulnerability. Yeah. So I may cry as I speak. Cause it's, it's okay. Easy, I cry all the to time share, to share some of the but. But the whole gist of the, you know, I, I'm not a real believer in marriage. I kind of see it as an arbitrary union that okay. I had so much. I feel like the government has more control over me. I have to make decisions based on other people. So right. I, I don't necessarily have that idea that I need to marry to fulfill an obligation to society. Right. Like, So, but I'm together with this incredible woman who I've been with for 10 years and she she's she's been married once before so she didn't really have a need to be married either but what happened was she was um one day playing with my mom's wedding ring Mm. and my mom died and i can share that's really the gist of this story the last letter but my mom died when when i was uh, 18 years old Mm. and basically i i have don't own anything for my mom outside of that ring Mm. and and when i saw her playing with it, it it hit me like, in a very, uh, in a, a, like, a level of, wow, like, all of, all the suffering that I've been avoiding all my life, and, and because I didn't have the love that I had lost for my mother Mm. after she died, was now in the hands of the woman that I loved.
3: Oh, wow.
1: And so that sort of was like a real, it was a kind of like, it felt like a full circle moment, because the book itself begins with my mom's death, Mm. because, um, when I was 18, uh, basically I was a freshman in college. I went to UC Irvine, mm-hmm. and I wrote my. I actually actually went took out of all the courses to take as a first year. I took sociology of death. You know, wow. like as if, as if that and and that was very much tied to my own fear of of mortality and all. But this pain. is
2: you took the sociology of death before your mom's death or yes, yes, I took wow.
1: it. Actually, I took it. I was in it literally wow. you know when, when she died, but I, I I took this course, and in the course it was it was apparent to me that I was going to lose everything that I loved at some point that was just and as a freshman, just having left this the house for the first time, it was a it was an overwhelming feeling mm. and what I did at that moment was I actually wrote my mom a letter.
3: Oh, wow. and, and
1: I wrote her a letter and basically sharing with her the things that I had had trouble sharing with her while, while, you know, I was in high school.
2: Oh, that's beautiful. So what did the letter say?
1: The letter said, you know, my parents were divorced and I and as a as a kid, you know, it was hard to ask my mom to come to sort of watch what I was so proud of at that time, which was running track mm-hmm. because I never wanted her to see me fail oh wow so i basically just shared with her it wasn't because of you it was because of my own uh, my own pain
2: yeah yeah and and what else was in the letter
1: and the letter was more just the gratitude for her being you know the one of the hardest things to have written was that that my life had meaning because she was in it
2: oh beautiful
1: and that was sort of the that that key sentence basically was the, what led to the utter despair after she was gone, of course.
2: Mm, wow. Wait, that's really profound. So the light and, and it's interesting because I can immediately relate to, um, cause I have now two sons that are going off to college. So I'm kind of in a oh, similar situation yeah. to your mom. And so I can see how I feel my life has meaning with them in it. And it's uh, from a mother's perspective, yeah. but from a son's perspective, what, did you mean when you said my life has meaning because you're in it?
1: Yeah. It, you, at some point I, I believe that one ha- wants to achieve
3: mm-hmm.
1: for an, from an egoic perspective.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And then at some point they transition a little bit to, I want to achieve to share that beauty with someone else.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So what I was deeply feeling was that the successes felt more beautiful because of my mom. Oh, and because sweet. she was part of my life, and and actually, you know, as my parents were divorced and it wasn't easy, my dad was bipolar and very very difficult. It was I was very reliant on her just for my own sanity and and well being. Mm.
3: So, mm.
2: so yeah, yeah. So your life, your life accomplishments had more meaning for her when she was able to view them.
3: Oh yes
2: yeah so so it's like it's kind of like the witness energy of of of. and so you wrote her this letter you sent and i can't even imagine receiving a letter like this what did your mom what was her reaction when she received it
1: so she got she got the letter and uh and uh you know at that time there weren't uh you know we didn't have this kind of internet thing and we didn't have uh the uh, mobile phones that we could you know leave voicemail. so yeah we thank had you
2: i got your letter we thank the, you <laughs> we,
1: we, had, we had the traditional voicemail right with the tapes that we used to put in and she she left me a message and just said lovely message thank you and i love you and that's then that, sweet. that that was it sweet yeah.
2: wow and did you ever talk about that letter afterwards
1: well i mean that's that that's the thing is that she sent me that letter and then four hours later she was killed
2: you mean you sent her that four, letter I, I'm
1: sorry 4 hours after she had left me that voicemail she was killed by a drunk driver
2: Oh my god
1: Yeah
2: oh my god Wow And and what was your what was your what was your reaction after that this...
1: Oh I mean that that single moment defined everything You know I was oh. at that point yeah 18 turning 19 Basically, what I what I meant earlier when I said that I wrote to her and felt like life was only worth living because I could share it with her, the fact that she was there not there anymore was one of the most surreal experiences because everything that mattered to me before was then meaningless.
3: Mm, wow. Like,
1: it was absolutely meaningless. So even to the degree that I was competing, I was a walk-on on the – the uh, track team, which was which was a big deal for me at yeah, that time, yeah,
2: especially in Irvine, and, yeah,
1: and and, uh, and 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 because of injuries and people not necessarily performing, is why well, I got to be on the team that was traveling and going to the uh, to the big competitions and the conference finals, and in the conference finals at that point, I did quite well in placed, which for me would you know say um, prior to my mom's death would have been like a lifelong achievement, right. But like to sit on the, you know, to have achieved it and to have it mean really nothing to me was one of the most painful experiences. Because then it was now what if this doesn't mean anything to me, if the one thing in my life that I imagine would be so incredible means nothing, then then what what do I want from this life?
2: Mm, Wow, wow. Yeah. Interesting. I'm, I'm, um, paralleling it with my life. My dad died, um, unexpectedly of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've always said all the things that I wanted to say to him. Uh, but for me, the meaning that he had in my life was just the kind of grounding and the love and the support. And so when that was Mm -hmm. gone, it felt like all that was just kind of washed away. And then, and then I could look at all the things that I had done similar to your track event and go, this is just, you know, within the big, big picture, this is all utterly yeah. meaningless. And for me, I felt like, what the heck? My whole life was stupid. You know, from that point on, everything, I looked at all the stuff I was striving for, what I was planning on doing. And, and it just seemed utterly meaningless. And that yeah. I, I, so I understand. So what, what did life look like for you after that point?
1: Well, the interesting thing is that if, you know, anyone has gone through something like that, you you go through, like, all the stages of death, you know? You're mm-hmm. just, you know, the denial, the anger, just... It was... At that moment, I can only describe it as life was over for me. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's the only... Like, life was over. I couldn't... I can't say, you know... It was hard. I'd just say it was over. There was just like suicide was actually, I, I didn't see it as a bad thing. It was just ending the suffering. Right. Like, you know, it's hard when you try to explain that ending suffering is, is but that's that's what it was. It was mm. just endless suffering,
3: mm. just suffering.
1: And, and at some point, you know, at some point you have to make a decision. Are you going to stay there or are you just going to reinvent yourself? Because clearly the life uh, as it was will never be. So the mm-hmm. question then is, to what degree do you say, okay, I'm going to redefine myself as something totally different
3: mm-hmm. or,
1: or allow myself to say, okay, that, that Andy in that case is just gone and I don't know who the new Andy is, but he doesn't need to be defined by, by anything in the past. Wow. And that's, that's basically what, what happened. Right. right,
2: that you thought so. I, apart, the Andy one point um, died yes. off with your mother's death, and Andy two point came up. And what did? How was Andy two point different?
1: Well, two point was interesting because two point oh, you know, there was still like the, you know, I was still, I was still, you know, just out of my teens, right? Yeah. So, so it was. There were still insecurities, clearly, and and wanting to prove on one level, but there was less and less social obligation. There was nothing. Ne- there was less and less <laughs> a need to fulfill any social obligation. So basically, I just said, okay, I really, I want to experience life in a whole another light. At that point, I just went and figured out how to get out of the U.S. So basically, I left the U.S. at. It would have been the day before my 21st birthday to go on an exchange program to study at the University of Sydney,
2: oh, which okay I did. wow. Okay.
1: And then literally from that age, I've never lived in America. So I've lived in seven countries, but I'd never have actually returned to live in the U.S. since since I was, you know, then leaving at 20.
2: Wow. So you went from Australia and then were you on a spiritual quest or what was the... What was the arc of your journey or were you just in, in uh, surrender was the main theme?
1: I, I would say surrender really was the main theme. You know, in fact, whenever I didn't surrender, it got more complicated. So <laughs> actually, it was surrendering was, you know, there was a list of in, in that the, the last letter of the, the book is actually the story of traveling between these these six and then the seventh country to describe what. I went through in the process of my own spiritual development hmm. and how the awareness of living in these different places shaped and formed my awareness of the world.
2: Yeah. So this is kind of the eat, pray, love kind of, I mean, yes. I, I know you're probably sick of hearing that because people are probably trying to summarize your experience in someone's <laughs> else's, but, but like, yeah. sorry, is it kind of like that? <laughs>
1: You know, you know, I haven't read it, but as far as I was concerned, that is exactly what it was. I mean, it was a journey. I I think um, probably I'm not exactly sure because I I haven't read that book. But in essence, what I did was I shared from the most intimate space I could what the journey felt like at that moment, which was really reliving a lot of those feelings Mm -hmm. over again, which was quite, uh, quite weird in some ways
3: yeah emotions
1: you would put away not having thought but then kind of meditating into it and then allowing yourself to kind of embody an emotional state to write from
2: but what's interesting to me is that well from my own experience and I don't know if this is true for you but you know the there's kind of a you know you leave the house there's a version of you you then become an adult there's a version of you Yeah. And at least with my own experience, you become married and there's yet another version of you. So it's interesting that at your wedding, you're kind of recapping the last chapter of how I would define it as CJ 2.0. Like, okay, CJ 2.0, here's a recap of like where I've been and now with your wife you know, moving on to, you know, for me with my husband running, moving on to CJ 3.0, which for me, I did it way less consciously. It was more like a drunken, you know, (laughs) drunken, like, don't remember anything. And now I'm coming into CJ 4.0 after two kids going
1: like, what
2: the hell? Like, I just like blacked out.
1: Don't remember anything. (laughs) It was imposed on, on you. Yeah,
2: yeah. And now I'm like, what happened to CJ 3.0? I barely, it was just like, that was yeah. crazy. And so, yeah. so I'm doing something very similar with my life, which is to go back and kind of recapping stuff because there is yeah. just the beauty. And what's interesting for me is going back and reviewing these things. And, and I, and there's like the first look at it, which is just the factual like gut, you know, yeah. reaction to it. And then the next level, which is like, no but what does that mean and then you're like whoa and then you're like wait what does that mean you're like whoa <laughs> so you yeah. just keep on going
3: that's it deeper yeah.
2: and was that was your was your experience similar when you kind of looked at that you know that journey of your life to that, seven different countries
1: i mean that was really it because it, the funny thing i think someone told me you've really written the book in like three different perspectives on one level there's like this perspective of, the actual actor, the one in the play, then reflecting on the actor, and then reflecting on the actor, and then the reflections of how it is to develop on a journey of what you realize as you go through, you know, A lot of the struggles that one goes through when they're when they're on a spiritual journey, you know. And the bigger, you mentioned the big Andy 3.0 version, and the 3.0, although there might have been some 2.1s or 2.2 minor upgrades. (laughs)
3: Yes,
1: was one of the countries that I did spend a lot of time in. I lived in Vienna, Austria, for about ten years, where I began the Andy kind of version that was very business oriented. So I became marketing director of a computer company that was going public. And so I I, I just took on this identity of a person who was so far away from the essence of who I really felt the 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 person I really desired to be Mm. right in in my deep heart. But basically, my dad at, at that point had thrown me out of the house and disowned me. and I had no contact. So in essence, fear and, and pain was driving a lot of my life until then. So, mm. you know, when you when that happens, you go for control. And if you find some place that pays you well and gives you security, then that's a those golden handcuffs can keep you for a very very long time.
2: Ah, so you were in Austria for ten years with for this years. kind of uh, Andy two point five or whatever. Yeah, some like yeah. some and version then, of yourself that doesn't even seem familiar now.
1: <laughs> exactly, and then. <laughs> I met a man who was from the Netherlands and he basically uh, I was at that point, I became responsible for trainings in the company that I was in in um, in Austria. And he was he was just he was a loving bastard. I guess that's the best way you could put it (laughs) like the Dutch Dutch people can be very direct. And he he was he was he had all of this emotional development work behind him. But he had this hard, like razor's edge. If you took a step left in, in avoidance, then I'm gonna hold you back. I'm gonna pull you back. You take a step right in avoidance, I'm gonna pull you back. So he never let the individual move away from the journey that they may have tried to kid themselves that they were on. Wow,
2: what a that's a beautiful thing.
1: Oh, Is it? Yeah. Oh, it was incredible. And and I needed it because what I saw in my my big headedness. Is that it was really easy to discount people because he doesn't appear to know this or you know uh, or yeah it's nice but look at he's so lost in the belief system of somebody else I don't so I would find ways to escape my own development by critic being critical of others' development so that I didn't need to take the the steps that, that, oh, that I would. Have
2: wonderful! Liked okay, and this gentleman who was your boss or who was he, he your was, teacher? He was
1: just someone. He was actually just someone I hired. <laughs> <laughs> and then I I I went I went to I all together twelve countries with him in the company I was in to do trainings. And ba- and when I saw how he did trainings, because I'd done them for so many years, he was actually engaging the individual to reflect on their own journeys as opposed to what I was used to, which was someone telling them what they should do.
2: Wow. Wow. So in some was it so was he indirectly through his trainings coaching you, or did he say to you also, like, hey, boss, you know, you need to get centered back into, what what was it?
1: I would say he was consistent. He treated everyone equally horribly. (laughs) So
2: So he was the one who kind of shifted you back into, Um, like, kind of, like, slapped you with the face of of reality, like,
1: listen, Andy,
2: you're not on track.
1: Yes, 100%. You're an imposter. You're actually... (laughs) you actually are you say you're one thing but you're actually something else you know whatever whatever it was where you saw i had a limiting idea of myself that was keeping right. me st- stuck he just didn't he didn't have any of it
2: right no filters thank goodness None. wow None. that's a that's an incredible gift
1: it was an incredible gift and what happened after that was i literally sold everything i own i quit that job and i lived in his attic space just to <laughs> re- <laughs> just, just <laughs> just to just to have a life view over <laughs>
2: <laughs> he's like actually I changed my mind get the hell out of my attic <laughs> go back and take that job <laughs> whoa yeah. that is serious oh yeah, my goodness
1: serious. wow yeah. so that was Andy 3.0 actually that was the wow. that was the real shift
2: okay and what happened at that moment because that just scares that scares me to death that whole thing scares me to death well, Hearing
1: that what I did was I said Andy you know I never wanted to be dependent on money because what I saw was that with money was compromised like oh if I need something I'll compromise my values or the things that are important to me and just somehow just justify it or work mm. in some form and basically I just said, I will not be working for money. Like, Mm. I will decide how I want to work, and if I have to eat less, or if I have to, like, not Mm. live on a standard that I was used to, I was not going to compromise it.
3: Mm.
2: And that's
1: basically what we went on that journey together for 10 years, he and I.
2: Wait, you lived in his attic for 10 years? Or are you saying... No,
1: no, no, no. I lived in the attic for maybe a year, year and a half, until we got kind of adjusted. And then I moved into another space, which was a bit shoddy, but it was, it was an upgrade. It had its own bathroom. So I didn't have to like, you know, (laughs) go to crawl down three flights of stairs to go to someone else's bathroom.
2: (laughs) Wow. Okay. So I want to go trace all the way back because Mm -hmm. a lot of this does relate. You said the theme is surrender. So, and you said when you didn't surrender, that's when you had the hardest time. So what did surrender look like To you, and how did you know it was time to surrender? Like, what were the cues that you're like,
1: yeah, Hmm. you know, yes,
3: um,
1: if I hear myself walking away from uh, from pretty much anything, quite frankly, yeah, and then I know there's something lingering in the back of my brain that doesn't want to be dealt with, Mm. like. Like I'm really clear. Give on me an that.
2: example. So I understand what it feels like when it's walking away from something. An example
1: you. would be, let, let's say for instance, if I'm hurt by someone,
3: mm-hmm.
1: right. Um, not to, to start to, if I hear any voice in my head that goes into blame yeah. or into trying to defend what I think I did or didn't do or should or shouldn't have done, then I'll go directly back into the emotion of it. And then from that space speak, vulnerably with the the individual
2: got it okay got it so it's so for you it's always it looks like denial like for me what what it feels like when i hit a surrender point it's like resistance i'm like a battering ram boom 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 the wall just doesn't move i'm like hey um before you just run into the wall again (laughs) perhaps you
1: should think yeah whether it makes sense to run into the wall again that's what it looks like for me but for you it's denial Interesting. I'm trying to I'm trying to piece together my head. There's basically when when I'm thinking, my brain is pretty scattered. So when you speak and use those terminology, I can immediately identify with that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, Very recently, with the cover design of the book that that will be out soon, um, this whole I mean, this the 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 uh, the title of the book didn't exist four months ago. Wow. The tour didn't exist four months ago. Okay. So literally in the last four months, there are 60 locations that I will be giving sessions in, in that just transpired in those months. Wow.
2: Wow. 60.
1: What the (laughs) heck, man? (laughs) That's what I was. Just,
2: Wait, and do you is, have an agent, or did these no, just manifest I mean, out of like the ether?
1: That's what I'm. No agent. There's me. There's <laughs>
2: you Andy sitting Paul. in Alaska manifesting no, it, sixty yeah. torments. <laughs> oh my God, that's so good.
1: Well, it's kind of wild. I didn't. Really, you know, when you're so busy just doing this yeah. and that, you don't even think what's happened. And now, wow, there's like sixty locations. This is absurd. Like I can't, I can't quite understand how that happened in that time frame. Yeah. But, but, but that was all the surrender. Everything was flowing, and it just happened. And you know, I sent you an email, and you said, "Oh, sounds great. Let's see." You know. Right. So there was, there was a lot of my wife says, "Andy, all you do is you kind of chum. You just throw it in the water, and whatever the fish come, then that's great." You
2: know? <laughs> and then there were a lot of fish that came. I wasn't the only. Yeah like yeah, moronic then, fish that came to bun to nibble <laughs>
1: and then and then you know what was really interesting like basically a, a lot of people kind of filled the map i drew a line i said oh this is the line i'll be traveling right I, I and then and then i said wow that's a long drive where are there bookstores that are so i don't need to drive 16 hours maybe it's eight or four and then i just sent off three or four emails to the bookstores in that area and said hey i'm coming through if you'd like it's free it's open and I can adapt it to the time you need. And and people were very, very receptive to it. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I love it. What an interesting idea. So what are you going to be talking about when you meet with
1: people? Well, the, the whole, the, the idea is the book was the last letter. And as I mentioned, I'd written this letter to my mom that she received just hours before her death. And then, and then I laughed because the book, After, you know, having written it and people liked it, I thought, oh, it would be great to now that I see that it has traction to support it. But there was this funny moment when I thought to myself, but I'm not really interested in doing a book tour. I mean, how uninteresting is it to go and to talk about in front of people? My mind is, oh, what I'd really love to do is invite people to write last letters to people that they maybe haven't written those to.
2: Oh wow! So be, I'm gonna come to your East West Bookstore event. You're gonna be coming to East West Bookstore on September 5th from 7 to 8:30. So I'm gonna go yeah. and write the letter that I always wanted to write to X yes. person before yeah. and and send it. Or what's the whole idea? Well, well that,
1: like, that's the whole thing. Is that now I'm? This is all an invitation. Yeah, Andy, so what we, did
2: you start here?
1: <laughs> that's sort of where kind of where you know if you should see my wife looking at me like what are you getting into today like you know like you said it was a book and now you're gone for 3 months and now you're and and so yeah it is really inviting people to write to someone that they may have had a hard time writing to in the past you know it, it, there's both sides of it there's the people that I love that I might have difficulty just writing to because I'm always feeling that they love me they know I love the, that I love them anyways and then you have the group of people, like my father was to me, mm-hmm. of people you really have a hard time loving.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: it would really be my desire to invite individuals to, if for a longer session, to mm-hmm. invite, to write a letter to one that they actually do have strong feelings for and don't feel any resistance. And then for the ones that have strong resistance and basically a therapeutic moment of sharing. Maybe they weren't perfect, but there were things that you really took away that you gained from in your life. Mm,
2: You know, um, so uh, um, about a year ago, um, Mm -hmm. my eldest son was leaving for college and I thought I I'm and for me, as I said before, um, my kids give me so much meaning. So when mm-hmm. he was leaving, and I was seeing, you know, the next the nest half empty, and and by next summer, my youngest someone will be leaving, and the nest will be empty. And I thought I better get my act together to figure out what CJ 4.0 looks like because at this yeah. juncture, it's just this big cavernous hole. But as you discovered yourself part of that means an evaluative analysis of CJ 3.0 so yeah there's this idea in shamanistic work that's called recapitulation which uh-huh. you actually take some of the things that you like from your other life and decide to carry them forward and the things that you don't like and you like say graciously goodbye to and so yeah so I thought well I'm going to take a writing class and mm. and I got in the class and I said I really I got it I was meditating I got I, got, I kept on praying to whoever you think's out there. For me, it's like consciousness, God, whatever, yeah. kept on praying. What should I do? What should I do? And, and I kept on getting, I was like, what would be in the highest and best interest of myself? And I heard writing and then be like, okay, so tell me what should I do? Um, what could I do? And they're like writing. I'm like, okay, so tell me really what you really want me to do. And then finally I thought, Now you're just an ingrate If you go around just like praying and asking and then you get an answer. It's like that one thing and about, then you're like, yeah, it's like that, that the joke. That yeah, exactly. The joke about the person who's like, you know, they're like, "Well, God, please save me," you know, and they're on the top of a roof and like God sends a helicopter and all the stuff. They're like, "Well, God, you know, same kind of thing." So then I yeah. thought, either you better get writing or just stop asking because it's just rude. Yeah. So I decided to write and when I was writing, what I I was really hard for me to write, but when I wrote letters, it was so like everything just flowed. So I wrote a letter mm-hmm. to my son and I wrote a letter to my deceased right. dad and yeah. um to to just i guess echo your idea is that the power of that idea is that there's just so much it's just just generated yeah. in writing that letter and it's such a catharsis at least for one person i hope two people but at least, yeah. at
1: least for you was yeah.
2: the catharsis I mean, of yeah the
1: the one thing i know is in the writing you'll also see where you yourself haven't come to peace with certain yes. things yes it exposes yes. itself very very quickly, of course.
2: Well, I've been yeah. trying to write about my dad's death and I, so what happens is I write it and it and it goes in like these like weird directions. And I go and then I'm like, okay, I can't I can't even write this anymore. I can't I can't finish this letter, I can't write it. Yeah. And then I start writing another thing and it goes in some other direction. And then I'm like, wait, didn't I write something before? And I'll read the two pieces and they're like pretty similar like i'd say 60% yeah. similar and i thought i'm just like a raving lunatic repeating these same
3: stories <laughs> you know what i tend to see over. there
1: yeah, yeah. <clears throat> what i tend to see is that in the in the repetition of a story it tends to come from an emotion that hasn't been re- released in in the actual oh, undercurrent yeah. of the stories so i tend to yeah. i tend to ask the people like what is it the thing that's hardest to admit or how you know you know, if you had the chance to say the thing that's that that would would be closest to what you're feeling, what would that look like?
2: yeah, for me that uh, the 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 answer would probably be that it means nothing. You know what I mean? Like you're trying to make meaning out of all these things, and for me, I'm a meaning maker, and so probably yeah. the thing I don't want to admit is that the whole thing is oh, meaningless because uh, oh, then wow. it's like, oh Lord. Now, Lord, help me.
1: <laughs> like so, yeah.
2: But I bet that's at least what came to me intuitively. So I think that's really interesting. So
1: it's... And then from a coaching perspective, not that we would go there, but at least yeah. I would share with you that what I would usually invite people to do in that situation is it is meaningless and it's okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. There is a gal in the writing class that I have that came to mm. the recognition that life is meaningless and it really perturbed me. But then, Um, um, and I think that must be why, because on some level, there is the Tao of life, which even with, you know, the best, you know, meta scoping out perspective, you just can't possibly understand what the meaning is. And sometimes life is, is seemingly meaningless. And to just be able to say, yeah, it's meaningless. You know, your mom got hit by a car. Why did that happen? You know, why did it happen right then when you're taking an intro to, you know, sociology and death death? Why did that happen right before she could, you know, before she could see you, you know, get that, you know, why, why, why? And sometimes there's like, there is no why. (laughs) There's absolutely no why. There's no freaking why.
1: why, That why will lead you down some dark holes that that don't actually have any answers.
2: (laughs) I know. But like, that's the thing that I probably don't want to admit. And, uh, sure. but, but it's interesting. I'm glad that you asked that question. Cause that is the, that is the power of writing a letter because you just kind of, yeah. I guess I, I keep on hitting some circuitous path. Cause what I'm hearing you're, you're proposing is that there's something that I just don't really, some reality that I don't really want to yeah really recognize. Okay. Well, we'll see if now, knowing, knowing what that is, if I can uh, finish that freaking article cause it's taken <laughs> so long. That's Uh, interesting. So you're going to be talking about last letters and that's going to be. And so I'm assuming that in your in your your theme of surrender, you have no idea what's going to happen. Do you know, is it structured or is it going to be kind of like.
1: Well, what what I don't want to do is I don't want to ever get bored. So I myself (laughs) do not. I mean, I mean, if if there's anything, if I feel that I'm doing a repetition of this over and over again, then it'll become, in the words, meaningless to me.
2: Okay, got it. So
1: it's not a selfless act. Actually, I, I want to be there with people, and I don't want to impose on them. I actually am inviting them to meet meet one another wherever I see them willing, able, capable of connect connection. So, I mean, I've really, like, I've done my best to move into environments that would traditionally be maybe spaces I wouldn't go to, right? Right. I've been dying to get into a prison, which has been a harder, harder than, than I had expected, but I'll be going to an old folks home and into schools and into some unity churches around, uh, the, the States. Mm. And yeah, it's really, I have done my best, a lot of private homes, just individuals that have invited, you know, five, 10 people over for a night just to have this as a, uh, A shared experience.
2: I love it. Um, so, uh, we've been talking to Andy Shaliff about his book, The Last Letter. And in fact, if you want to find out about, um, his tour from September, November, which starts in Seattle and is it still ending in Miami or are you still adding? It
1: (laughs) it is ending in Miami, (laughs) but I I got, you know, what was the most, you know, when you talked about meaning, I, I, I'll be ending it at an, uh, uh, at what would we call it? Is that the word an old folks home or, a Retirement We're in re- retirement
2: home. Yes. Yeah.
1: So that was really emotional for me because I was thinking wow mm. if I if I'm going It's yeah, it's it's incredible to say I'm ending in a space where when we write those letters You know to a large degree very well might be the last letter for a lot of those people, oh, which is really beautiful Quite beautiful oh. to end it there. So that'll happen in, yeah. in my,
2: yeah. So folks can go to the last the last letter and yeah. and find out when you're coming. Thank you so much
1: Thank you very much. It was great speaking with you.
2: Thanks for listening to Fired Up with CJ.
0: You can join the conversation, contact CJ Lou yourself, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and find our Facebook page. And
3: check out more shows online now.
0: Get links to it all at firedupwithcj.com.